receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. We remember, uh, you know, or the dime uh, that it was in the 30s. But when I was a kid, it was 39 cents. You saw the Tarzan daily strips that Debbie got me for Christmas, right? I think I saw it. Yeah, yeah right. it's, it's just amazing. It's, but I'm sure it's big. But it's not. It's it's the same. It, it's the right ratio for that that stuff. See how yeah. easy? And you know, they yeah. had those. Yeah. They did have all pictures comics because that was one of the first ones I got. My uncle had it. It was in the chicken shed of my grandparents, and like. My uncle would tell me, like when I was getting the 60s ones, he would say, oh, I had a bunch and they all got lost when we, when we moved. The chickens ate to the rent. I don't even know what it was a chicken shed. We didn't have, they, my grandparents didn't have chickens. <laughs> but my grandfather found it. And it was like, it's battered, but it's still, it's like my most treasured because it was the only thing of my uncle's that my, my uncle Bob that was, that survived of the big little books from his shop. But he, but he admitted, he's like, he had a whole bunch. So, but it, it is, each, each page is a panel. Yeah. It's a it's a Bugs Bunny story, and I think that one's Risky Business, or Diamond Fab no Fabulous Diamond F- Fountain is a Donald Duck one from the sixties. But anyway, it was like so cool, you know. And and it's probably like I dare not take it out of the box now because I'm afraid it'll just disintegrate. But they did it. They did so many cool things with that format. Yeah, and they weren't aimed because I was just reading an article on it. They weren't aimed at kids the way i assumed they were some were oh i know because that his that disney little golden books history uh, art of little golden books has a has a section on big little books and says that like some of them were absolutely for adults and because they were just licensing like crazy and figuring out what they could go like i have a joe lewis biography which i should reread because i'm pretty sure it's racist as heck and i want to see what they were well, the size and the ratio was close to the books they used to publish for um soldiers overseas too Right, and I can imagine they they would send those. I want to qualify with saying that the Joe Lewis biography is racist heck. It was written in the '30s, and what I sure. mean is, I took it when I read it in fourth grade, like at face value. And then there are things that, in my memory, I'm kind of like going, "Was that a dog?" You know, it was like now I look back and go, "Was that?" Wait a minute, you know, and I want to, I got to find it and and reread just because I'm like, "Ew," yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but that was you know passed off as well it's like when you look at look at the old tarzan strips and you see how the africans are drawn you know that no uh, yeah and it's, uh it's, they're a little bit of a character yeah know, so. so um yeah so anyway this is Derek mccaw editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com i uh, hope you came in on that uh, discussion of uh deep of, of insensitivity and entertainment of decades past long decades past uh this is the fanboy planet podcast and it is sunday what is the date? It's I've 21st. lost 21st. I've lost track of all time. 2018. What? January. No, thank you. The year, man. <laughs> What's the year? <laughs> What's the year? The year. It worked. No. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sitting across from there me. There were two pines out in front last night. Trying to confuse me about 
my place in the time space continuum. Uh, yeah, I'm Rick Brett <laughs> Podcast producer, here we are at the it's Brett Cave on a Sunday evening after busy couple of weeks and as uh, a busy couple of weeks off from the podcast but that did lead into uh, our top story tonight where we both ended up coincidentally a day apart but in the same spot yep um but not here so uh before we get into that of course i want to say you can catch us on your on your favorite podcatcher and if you do please rate us review us tell your friends and if there's anything we talk about on tonight's podcast that uh you would like to own for your very self a book or a, or a film uh and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store you can use the handy dandy amazon search box that it and sometimes Sometimes it's AI is smart enough, actually identifies, like if we write an item in the, in the itinerary of the, of the podcast, it'll show up in the search box. Sometimes. Well, computers are smart. They are. They are. They're frightening. And they're listening to us right now. Aren't you, Alexa? This one responds to Echo. Oh, oh, sorry. Very smart. Okay. Aren't you, Echo? It hates me. I said something mean about it earlier, so you it's, have to it's, say it's giving me the silent treatment. Echo, what I don't day want is to. It? I don't want to. See, it's so ignoring you because know it doesn't know, know what day it is. is. Sure, because we're time lost. Anyway, you can use the Amazon search box also because each and every podcast does have its own page on fanboyplanet.com. Sometimes we have direct links as well. And, of course, there's also, uh, we are an affiliate with Think Geek, so if you want to just do some geeky shopping, you can go through the link there, and we we get a small remuneration uh, kickback from those things, as we do from Amazon as well. And, of course, if you would just like to help defray the cost of hosting a site and running a podcast, it's, it's not as cheap as you'd think, uh, you know, then you can just donate directly. There's a PayPal link on the Fanboy Planet page, each and every Fanboy Planet page. And that is it goes through to through to editor at fanboyplanet.com. As well, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, and you can also find us through Facebook or Twitter. Both places, it's Fanboy Planet. Real simple, because I had to remember it. So it's sort of like Stan Lee doing alliterative secret identities. Yeah. I figured the, 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 the fewer identities that I created, I'm not like the shadow, the fewer identities <laughs> I create, the better <laughs> off we borrow the are. identity of, of Fanboy Planet <laughs> of from Lamont me. Cranston. Yeah. So yes, on Fanboy Planet, you go to Lamont Cranston, and there it is. Uh, but, but we're secretly Kent Allard. We might be G8. Uh, <laughs> so, and that's if you subscribe to Wold Newtonism. And, uh, that was pretty geeky. So, uh, anyway, the point is, you can, you want to uh, get connected with us, write in, make comments on that. There's also, of course, discus. You can comment on each and every page. And I just to say, you want to pay attention because we are getting very close. This would be episode 497. Yep. And before we started recording, we started discussing, like, what can we do? Can we schedule 500? Can we say for sure when 500 will be? I think we can. Yep. I think you and I reached an I agreement. Think we can. But now the people that would host us for it need to, to know. I mean, it's only fair. We Tell need them. To sign off. Tell them that we're showing yes. up and going to record. Make sure that they're not doing clog dancing that night or something. Well, that just opened up people's suspicions as to where it is, <laughs> like so many places. It's a place that, to the best of my knowledge, has never done clog dancing. But 
We shall see. Who knows? And, and if you are the owner of this place and you're screaming, why didn't you ask me yet? Uh, hey, message me. Uh, <laughs> we probably asked you by now. Uh, that maybe, that maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. So we'll find out. Anyway, our top story tonight, oh, there's a lot of comics news and so forth, but our top story, I think we get to weave, it'll come back around because I want to, because I had some realizations there, but we both ended up, uh, the top story of Jan- of December and January, as far as pages on Fanboy Planet, was the announcement of a retrospective exhibit of Batman 66 at the Hollywood Museum. Uh, so, we ran some photos, said come and it was opening January 12th. Huge response on, on the site, as well as, I think, to them, to the Hollywood Museum. A place that, honestly, I did not know existed. When it's I'm down, kind of, it's down a nondescript street off of Hollywood. Well, I Boulevard. think because the thing is, you go to Hollywood and Highland, yeah. and you go to that center, which is all the Kodak Theater is there, and it's the, the big man's and, and the, 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 the it's the, the it's Grauman's Dolby again. It's, and, it's Grauman's again. It's the Dolby Theater, the Grauman's Chinese, um, El Capitan. You went right. to see Coco at El yep. Capitan. I love going to El Capitan. So that block really kind of holds your attention. Yeah, and then you go a little further down. And there's, uh, which by the way, greatest Christmas gift I got was the, the day pass to the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum, the Hollywood Wax Museum. And I think there's a third that does not include Madame Tussaud. So that's a bonus. That's a fourth, but okay. I have been promised I get my day trip to the, <laughs> to those things because I cannot get my son to do it. So, oh no, uh, sure. He's scared of wax museums. I was uh, too at that age. Well, sh- Boys got to get over it sometime. How else are we going to survive? Mm. The zombies are going to hide and, you know, by day, stand completely still in a wax museum. Anyway, around the corner from there and actually connected to Mel's drive-in. And yeah. that's what I had seen. Yeah. That's what's so funny is I every time I go down there, because I, I, I do go to El Capitan to see movies two or three times a year. It's a little pricey. You saw that. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've always seen the Mel's Diner. And I'm like, yeah, but I eat the one on Ventura all the time. I don't need to go to this one. Didn't realize it connected to the Hollywood Museum. So, so did they not have the Marilyn Monroe brass statue out in front before? But so many places. If you go in front of Hollywood That's and Highland, true. there's a wax statue of really Marilyn sure. Monroe. You're not sure if it's actually. A and woman then there's three wi- and there's three women right. dressed as Marilyn Monroe going up right, and down right, the street. Right, right. So I don't know what it is, you yeah. know. Um, but now I know, and I will be visiting again. And uh, so last weekend for the Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, Rick was in town and took all the photos that are in the article that we ran. Um, and that was, he got it going on Friday and I went on, on Saturday and got to sit down with the Hollywood Museum founder, Donnell Dadigan, to talk about this exhibit, why it, it exists. Um, we know why, cause we're geeks, but it's such a, it was really cool. Let's run the interview and then we can talk about the exhibit because sure. I just think, you know, we got it. We got it. So here's my 11 minutes with Danelle Dadigan. Hello, I am sitting at the Hollywood Museum with museum founder, chair, curator, brain, uh, you know, behind this, Danelle Dadigan. And we're here because what brought Fanboy Planet was the Batman 66 retrospective. So, first of all, again, thank you for hosting this amazing exhibit well, thank you thank you for being here and being able to share it with all of your fans I, we, you know, this, is a, this is a big deal so what was the inspiration or why was the timing right for this exhibit to happen 
Well, we wanted to do Batman for quite some time, and then when there was this important anniversary of 52 years uh, coming up, and it uh, is actually uh, January 12th uh, was the day that the first Batman episode aired on ABC TV, uh, we thought, let's figure out how we can make this work where we can open it to coincide with that same date. And thank goodness we were able to. But it took us a long time to get to this point. Yeah. So how did you, how did you reach out? I know we have uh, you have a, a guest uh, or a guest co curator in Wally Wingert, voiceover artist, big huge Bat fan. How how did you go about doing it? Did you reach out to him? Did he so, come in? You know, that's a good question. You know, um, all of these collectors and actually um, our uh, exhibit organizer Roger Neal is the publicist for Burt Ward, Robin, oh, the Boy okay. Wonder. And we've known Roger for years. And um, Roger talked to me about this, and I thought, you know, this could be a good idea. And we, at the museum, wanted to always do a Batman exhibit. But as you can see by this exhibit and all the other exhibits here at the museum, we like to make our exhibits special, really special. And so I thought... Well, with Burt Ward aboard, this could be very special. And then at that point, we started to reach out to all the collectors and the fans who had artifacts and the professionals in the industry who were involved with the original Batman TV series and some who are involved today with the recreation uh, of Batman, such as Wally, Mm -hmm. Wally Wingert. And um, uh, Wally, you know, you meet him, and, you know, he's bigger than life, and it was just so much fun. And then we met several other collectors, and they all knew each other. And one thing led to another, and I thought, you know, uh, for me, it's not about um, uh, putting my stamp on everything or everyone sees that I have done this. For me, it's about presenting an exhibit for the public to enjoy. How we started this museum years ago was my mom and I wanted to uh, give back to the Hollywood community, and we wanted to do a love letter to the community. And we are both ex-school teachers, so we thought, why not be able to teach the community something? I am, too. All right. (laughs) There you go. And so we wanted to be able to share with the community at large the beginnings, the roots, and the importance of Hollywood. And we looked around and realized there really was no museum for this. Uh, Some had come, some had gone, but we wanted to do something special. And so uh, with the purchase of the Max Factor building, which Max Factor was Hollywood's makeup king, and if Mm -hmm. these walls could talk the stories that are told with the world-famous makeup rooms where Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe became a blonde, Lucille Ball got her signature red hair, and on and on and on, you know, we thought this was the perfect location. So fast-forwarding to these special exhibits that we do, we want each of these exhibits to be just as special as the building that they're housed in. Because if these walls could talk, we wanted the walls for Batman exhibit to talk. And some of them do talk, actually, which is just wild. I was just going to ask, is this co-sponsored by MeTV? Because I see all the... Screens have the MeTV well, bug on it. Well, we love MeTV, and it turns out that MeTV uh, has now uh, the series that is going to appear on their station starting any minute. 
Okay. So and it's so we're just we're, there it's too. just it's just perfect timing. And so uh, and for us here at the Hollywood Museum, there's room for everyone to participate always. And uh, but we do have one provide proviso, and that is that if you are a bad boy or bad girl, you have to pick up your toys and go home. And so everyone is on their best behavior, and therefore everyone participates. And it's just wonderful. You know, I mean, who could ever imagine we have, you know, two dozen collectors that are involved in putting this exhibit together. Wally had his work cut out for him, as did Roger Neal. What do you think it is about the series that has resonated? I mean, obviously many people are focused because of the character, but very specifically it is Bert and Adam. Um, this Batman 66, as they say now, you know, that really it's in people's hearts in a way that well, we've, we've seen several Batman, Batman come and go, and, and yet this is the one that has the exhibit. So what is it about it? Well, this is the ultimate Batman. This is really, even though, you know, the first character appeared in the late 30s in DC Detective Comics, uh, but... Um, you know, Adam West and Burt Ward, Batman 66, the television show. You know, when we were all young, we used to sit and watch this show. And we had our parents with us, mostly our fathers and sometimes grandfathers and sons would watch it. And those sons now have families. and So it's multi-generational. Uh, but everyone equates to this Batman and Robin because they made a point uh, with the outrageous costumes, the bright colors, the insertion of comic uh, uh, verbiage with the pow, the zap, the whack, you know, the kapow, uh, all of this, uh, that was the fun part of it. But underneath it all, it was all about good overcomes evil. And you saw the difficulties maybe when a villain was there with his malls and his henchmen and, and what was going to happen to Gotham City. But always, you know, these episodes were in two-parters, but always by the end of the second part of it, you know, everything was restored back to normal. And that's inside, that's what we all hope for, and that's what we all want. And I think it had some very important life lessons for uh kids of my generation who now, let's be honest, were adults and then some. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> well, it didn't mean we grew up. It just... <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no, no. But just, just, just you know, chronologically, uh, we tried to pattern our lives and remember uh, that good wins out over evil, and we should always try to be good and do the right thing. And I think this series taught us that in a very fun way where we didn't realize... You were learning the difference between good and evil. And you've got, you've gathered toys from the collectors, and I see many things that I had that broke and throw, you know, threw away, but the costumes of the villains bring up. So, uh, this is for anybody who wants to come. I mean, this is amazing to see, you know, from the most famous villains to the obscure, and it's fantastic. Did you even have False Face? That there's a, a Malachi Throne costume is, is amazing. Which villain is your favorite? Well, are you allowed to say that? Well, I'm not allowed to say it <laughs> because being the president and founder, it's really tough. You can't I can't play have the, favorites. I can't play favorites. But I was overwhelmed when we found the Ida Lupino costume when she played Dr. Cassandra. And I have to tell you, uh, because it was in good shape, it was though it was sealed off from the elements for decades. When it came, it was so 
it was in such good condition. It was just amazing and exciting to see. And it was all, uh, the costume is color blocking with a bright orange and a bright purple. And today color blocking is so popular. So it's amazing. The fashions, what goes around comes around. That's interesting because I, I don't see it from the fashions. I'm just happy to see them all. But it is, this is educational from that. And you, across from them, there's a lot of costuming as well. What were some, what would you say would be the biggest challenge of having put this together? Because like I see the Batmobile is a replica. It's well, not one of the actual well, it's a, well, yes. So uh, the night of the opening, we had George Barris's Batmobile that was here. It just could not stay here for the duration mm-hmm. of the exhibit. Uh, but this Batmobile uh, is the ba- only Batmobile other than George Barris's Batmobiles that George Barris had given the approval on and said that this is pretty much as good as it gets and that he actually has used this Batmobile when his were not available uh, for different shows and different uh, features uh, and for different photo shoots. So we have to appreciate that because we know how uh, difficult it is, and I couldn't ask the Barris family, oh, can we borrow the Batmobile for three months, maybe longer, because we may want to extend this. Uh, so oh, you heard that here first. I think yes. I, I think a lot of people would want want that to get out here because this is uh, this is amazing. Well, thank you. So the uh, uh, the George Barris Batmobile was here on opening night, uh, and it was out front of the museum and the crowds. It was phenomenal. And up here, I saw one of the most difficult feats of putting this exhibit together was getting the Batmobile up here on the third floor of the <laughs> exhibit. But it's here. We have an elevator uh, that uh, holds. Uh, 13,000 pounds, and we even had Marilyn Monroe's limousine in that elevator, and it was taken to the second floor at one time. And now this Batmobile is here on the third floor, right in the middle of our Batman 66 exhibit. And you have the Bat Cycle, and for people listening, one I just accidentally saw, thankfully I was wandering around and found off in a corner a rotor from the bat copter. Yes, isn't that <laughs> extraordinary? Amazing. And I, you know, it's so amazing. And the man, uh, the pilot who flew that helicopter, I mean, it's the most incredible thing, landed up buying the helicopter, and he is a retired military ops. Uh, uh, and it's kind of amazing for us because. He said, I have something for you. And with it, he had the photographs of, of course, he piloting the helicopter. But sitting in the seats next to him were Julie Newmar, Catwoman, Adam West as Batman, and Robin, Burt Ward. So this is a photograph that we show also. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Everything has signatures on it, and it's so much fun. And this rotor, uh, it's just amazing. But what has happened is we build families. And for us, the museum, uh, it's all about building a big museum family with the collectors and the stars from Once Upon a Time and the fans. There's there's more here. You know, again, on this floor, one interesting Batman connection, of course, Tim Burton's... uh, Pee-wee's big adventure. So, for people listening, Pee-wee's bicycle is here, right, n- right near the Batmobile, which I, I thought that that's that's great. It's fabulous, and Paul Rubens actually delivered it to us, rode it off the elevator, and drove a ro- rode it around the floor, and decided. I asked him, I said, "So, where do you want to see?" 
your bicycle. He says, I want to see it here, and, and it sits there today, where exact spot he chose. So if people get, if more collectors came out of the woodwork and said, oh, I have a piece from this, would you expand if you, I mean, I know this three months is the initial, and you're hoping perhaps that it would be extended. Will this exhibit change up a little bit? Well, exactly what you said, and it's already started to happen. Uh, after our opening night party, uh, it was amazing. So, yes, we are hoping to expand it, and uh, it will happen throughout the run so of the So you're saying exhibit. I have to come back next month? Yes, you may <laughs> have to, if not sooner. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Our pleasure. You gotta give it up. I, you know, I, I, I thank Danelle, but you gotta give it up to. And I noticed looking at your photos, give me a chance to, you know, I took some too, but I was looking at them, going, realizing here's my connection to where we are today mm-hmm. on television is the Jan Kemp, I believe, was the name of the costume designer on Batman, what we call now Batman sixty six. Yeah. That there's something amazing to me about how accurate to the comics. She made those costumes. Right. And for how long superhero shows on television were ashamed of that. And we're now giving credit to, like, the CW's making these realistic-looking versions. But Batman 66 kind of proves that... You don't ha- I mean, they were so minimalist, too, at the same time. The fabric is is typically pretty flat. There's no textures to them. It's It's... it's um, except and, for like Catwoman, she had, and, she, and part of it's the different film stock that they were yeah. using at the time. But still, you know, and there's a, I mean, that's really cool. There are article, there are little <clears throat> placards that are explaining all the different the, the dyes and yeah. why some things are reproductions and why and and others are the real thing. We were looking at it trying to figure <laughs> out. So, did they dye the Joker's gloves to get the same purple that he's wearing, or was that another? Did they manufacture, or you know, there was nothing that detailed in it of course i went in with a costumer so she's sure a whole different, sure different uh, attitude well i loved and you heard in the inter- interview or at this point rick will have heard uh because that's the beauty of, of no, i've heard it while i'm editing it yeah sure yeah. so at this point in the editing you've heard that like the uh the batmobile is a, is a reproduction but a reproduction mm-hmm. approved by george barris uh in, when he was still alive um because they could not afford to take the one of the original Batmobiles out of circulation for its appearances uh, around the, the country okay. for three months, which is it's set to be for three months, but it can possibly extend, and depending on its popularity, which I gotta think. I mean, I'm sure it was happening for you as you walk or walk around in there. You're looking at everybody with these unique T-shirts. Batman fans, and we all know the stuff. We all know it well. And I'm looking at all the toys and collectibles going, I had that, and I had yeah, that. That's and, oh, I always wanted that. I mean, and there is. Um, my mother had that simplicity pattern. I know that one of the, the, the utility belt is like one of the hardest yeah. things to find in its completion. And I still recognize that there are pieces from the 60s that aren't there. And Oh, sure. That there are. It, it is funny. It's weird that I realize that I know that I know of at least two really major Batman collectors, one of whom I believe has one of the Batmobiles, mm. whose collection is not. He, I, I'm not going to name names because I don't want it to be like maybe they did talk and it wasn't, you know, and, and it just didn't work out. But I know that there are pieces out there because some of them were at um, Silicon Valley Comic Con 
uh-huh. when I remember when they did right. was, it was still Big Wow when they did the, Big Wow when they did the Batman Gallery. Yeah. So I know that there are pieces that uh-huh. I would love to see in there, and I'd like the whole floor to just be Batman because it could. There's enough out there, but seeing. Seeing the scripts and and just again, I like there, there were so many little articles. Like there was a whole thing on the Ford Futura, the the the, the original car. Oh you yes, could sit there. I'm sorry, I turned to like Stephanie. We got in the car afterwards, and I said, "So you know that once we are completely debt free, I'm buying a Ford Futura." <laughs> <laughs> she goes, "No, no, no, I know, but we're buying a house first. <laughs> I, said, I said, "Okay, fair." Fair, but <laughs> you know that there's a Ford Future. No, you could be going around. Yeah, I sleep in my car, but it's a Ford Future, <laughs> and I will convert it to a Batmobile. I don't think they allow that anymore. I think there was a time that people could get away with it. Right, somebody got right. sued by it. No, there was a guy who was manufacturing them for sale. Mm-hmm. That's it. So yeah. I mean, it was just, and it's just amazing to to sit there and go. Like I was really glad there was already uh, because it's so close to the Walk of Fame, right? There was already. A picture gallery of people getting their stars on the Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Adam West was there because I, I thought, oh, man, if they're doing this whole thing and they don't have Adam West, like, front and center with this beautiful exhibit of, of stuff, um, down to, I mean, did you even notice that, the, which I talked about in the interview with Donnell, the rotor to the Batcopter because that's all they right, have right. autographed by the cast and, and just like these little pieces that I'm like, yeah, this is just really cool and that all three cat women are, are represented. And the Bat Shield. The Bat Shield. I had to, uh, I did the thing that I hate doing and luckily I was not observed by certain significant others doing it, um, was that somebody was asking a question of one of the, I assume a docent, uh, you know, an employee there who about the villains and he had the answer wrong. So I had to step forward and say, I'm sorry. You push your glasses up. I did. I had to, well, cause they're loose right now. Uh, but it's, you know, it's one Joker. Cause he said like, I think there were three Jokers. And I said, no, no, no. It's one Joker, two Riddlers, three Catwomen, but only two Catwomen on television. The third Catwoman is for the movie only. Right. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm such a nerd, but if you're going to be, you know, answering oh, yeah. all this, you got it. You got to know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, oh, that was the other nice thing about it was all the the video monitors they had running in loops in the different displays gave it gave it a little more life because you could see the you costume could see what was going on. I think the thing that the costume that just blew me away that it existed um, was the false face one, Malachi Throne. He's the the train engineer, right? With the original mask, right? And that was I used that as a trivia contest question in the pro fan trivia match about three years ago. So, of the villains, there are villains on the show that did not appear in the comics. Okay, but False Face did, but he was not a Batman villain. Oh. So the trivia question was, who's, where was his, uh, who did he fight in the comics? Hmm. I would guess, I would guess, yeah, hard you one. may never guess. Yeah. It is in an issue of more fun. Okay. It is a seven soldiers. Uh, it's actually the shining night, the shining night okay. in seven soldiers of victory wow. in one of their first stories. The difference is that false face in the comics in the, in the golden age story is so ugly that he has convinced everyone it's a mask. Uh, 
and so that's the surprise is that it's not a false face at all but he's Uh, but he's telling every you know so back in the days when a crime boss would just have some hideous deformity and be a crime boss like there's a there's a human torch enemy called the parrot that is literally a guy with a parrot head (laughs) This is the original Android Human the Torch. The Android yeah. Human Torch. It's yeah. just like, I I saw that story. Marvel reprinted it about the time of the 12. And I just read that and went, really? That's all there is to this guy is his head is a parrot and there's no explanation why? Nope. Nope. But I was encouraged by the, the variety of ages of people who were there to see this. Too. Yeah. I mean, very young kids going in uh, who've obviously watched it now. It's on me TV now. Well, it's uh, and, Saturday nights at ten and ten thirty. Yeah, and so and of course we've had the DVD or the Blu-ray collection. Well, it's a DVD collection then, yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, everything came out in time for the fifty for yeah. the fiftieth. Yeah, um, you know, and as as you, I, I I was vaguely aware, but I've been to Pink, so I didn't bother. But that. Uh, they have a Burt Ward dog at yeah. Pink's down yeah. the street, and uh, so world famous hot dogs. You can get a you can get a Burt Ward dog. Um, it's like super long. Is that what it's? It is? It's the limousine stretch dog with. Uh, it's otherwise it's fine. I think it's got sauerkraut on it too, or something like that. I don't, I don't know. There's a the, photo. There's on a the, photo on the, the website. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. So it was fun thing. If you can get a chance, I know as. Uh, I know that some of our friends that are going to be involved in Worldcon yep. are, are going to be at Gallifrey One, yep. and they were saying, let's stay an extra day to go do this. I think it's worth it, I, especially because the other thing we didn't talk about, and we, I didn't talk about it with Danelle, and we didn't run photos because I'm like, yeah, she's surprised up. But downstairs, so I didn't get to see the basement. There's a Hall of Horrors that was installed. It's a scary at, Hall of Horrors. Uh, that, that was uh, installed at Halloween, and it may be that they're taking that out. Um, that may be why it was closed when I went. Did I tell you about walking into that? Uh, yeah, I don't want you to say it again. Uh, no? But, no. <laughs> uh, but that there's Planet of the Apes from all the incarnations of Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Costumes and, and makeup. And I've seen the mutants. was just kind of weird, the head tests of, of the mutants. And there's some Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Randomly, there's a fig, There's a giant Sully. Star Trek Five, I Star think. Trek Five, unfortunately, yeah. but still, yeah. uh, there's a C-3PO figure. There's just a really cool, and there's a lot of television stuff, like mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s, Beverly Hillbillies, and a lot of makeup stuff. And which I would, I would be fascinated to see because I didn't really stay, as you say, to see the ages at Batman 66, but to walk around and see the do people watching uh-huh. of uh, of like who you know who's seeing here. The first floor had a lot of, you know, old Hollywood glamour stuff, and I'm right. not sure who was going into that and really... Well, it's a, a whole section on makeup. Yeah, well, yeah. because it was the original yeah. Max Factor building. And I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but the the flaw that I find in the museum, and I'm sorry, Danelle, you're going to listen to me, is there was no gift shop. It was the first time I've gone to a place and gone, I need a t-shirt, and they had a counter up in front where there were some things for sale that were that were in a in a glass enclosure. I didn't think they were for sale. I, I didn't. Debbie I, pointed out to me as as those were a couple of things that because I want to say they also had a, the Christopher Reeve costume from Superman the movie. Yeah, and uh, and, you could, and you can enter through. No, it was not. But yeah. you can enter through Mel's. Right. So what happened was I went backwards. Like we walked out through Mel's because I was looking for a gift shop. Yeah. Because I wanted, where's the Batman 66 t-shirt. Right. For, you know, I saw it at the Hollywood museum. So, uh, that's something they can't fix. Oh no, 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 absolutely not. But I'm saying I, what I think is funny is that's the first time in my life that right. I've ever gone like, 
there's no gift shop. What the heck? Don't they want any more of my money? (laughs) Because I'm totally willing. Um, No, you know, I got to say, thank you. They invited me for press. So I did not actually have to pay the, I think it's $15. It was $15. $15 admission. And so um, it was to, you know, I, which I think is worth it to see this stuff that I, you know, I've lived with my whole, uh, that's not an exaggeration. You've lived with these images your whole life. And it's just it's just amazing to see the real thing, to see the bat cycle, to see the shield. Yes, the the mannequin they had for for the Batgirl costume was really well done. I mean, the, so was the, the Adam pose. West. Both the Adam West but, were yeah. really good, but the, but yes, the Yvonne Craig mannequin had the po- had the had, body language yeah, exactly. I was impressed that the Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather ones looked like Julie Newmar yeah. and Lee Merriweather. They yeah. didn't try as much with Cesar Romero. There were a lot of them Frank that were Gorsi. just like, the Cesar Romero one was kind of like, okay, here's where his mouth would have been. And there's a fake mustache <laughs> yeah. on it, yeah. But yeah. Uh, the if you go down further, the um, the costumes of uh, Dick and Bruce standing in standing by the telephone and, and have in front the stance, of, and it was it was just great. And Debbie was like, like, we could put we could put those costumes together for some event, you know, and it's recognizable enough. You know, I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Also, the piece that I failed to mention is Pee Wee's bicycle from Pee Wee's Big ah. Adventure, which I then texted that photo to my son, and and actually just this weekend I said, did I show you this? And I texted to him, and he said. That's awesome because he hasn't watched that much Batman sixty six, but that I saw Pee Wee's bicycle and Pee Wee's suit, and I want to say that you know it is just because there was a little bit of controversy uh, this last couple of weeks, so I'm going to put a name out there. That suit, I don't know if that was the original one, but the original suit was owned by a man named Gary Austin, who was the founder of the Groundlings. And tonight, oh. tonight is the SAG Awards, and he trained Paul Rubens because uh, Paul Rubens was a was a Groundling, and he gave Paul his suit. Uh, and that was Pee Wee. Um, apparently, I don't know if this was re- fixed or not. He passed away a few months ago. He's not in the SAG retrospective tonight about you know uh, who people we've lost this week, this year. And I just want to call it out because Helen Hunt, when she won the Oscar, thanked Gary Austin because she had been a student of his, and he was an amazing acting teacher. And I I took some classes from him. A, a amazing guy and because of the groundlings alone that would have been enough to say this guy's influence was is tremendous in it in the entertainment industry but that he he went on after he left the groundlings he was still teaching and there's a lot of people uh, helen slater i believe oh. was one of his students as well helen only teaching people named helen and one named derek <laughs> uh no, no but but many many people and uh so if sa if the sag awards did not actually acknowledge him i want fanboy planet to acknowledge him because he was a great great man and his uh, and his techniques and his theories about acting were great and improvisation were great and without him we would not have pb herman and i think we all would agree that that would be a sad sad world would indeed yep. so uh let's get to comics it's still gonna be a sad sad no um there's some interesting stuff happening also over mlk weekend in uh, dc did a, a mini convention a pop-up called dc in dc and it was very uh out of this came a couple of announcements there's many panels and great talk and black lightning was there they they showed black lightning they did the world premiere of gotham by gaslight the new animated uh thing which i'm I'm super excited that's coming out in a few weeks there's a trailer for that right yes there's a trailer for it Uh, and and there have been clips and it's it's coming 
I think it'll be by February 12th. Um, so, okay. uh, so I think it comes out next week on digital only, and then then you can get the hard media. But out of it came one was hinted dropped beforehand. John Ridley, who is doing did a miniseries called The American Way, and he's currently doing a, a sequel for for DC, which was uh, about uh, an African American superhero during the Kennedy administration and basically all the racism that he faced and the you know going through the parallels of the civil rights movement and then bringing it forward into closer to modern times. He's going to write what I think is a fascinating sounding and let's be honest overdue um uh miniseries called the other history of the dc universe Mm -hmm. which is from the perspective of john stewart and vixen and all uh, and and those heroes that you would say you know i guess for lack of a disenfranchised or from um that of ethnicities or even because they include Supergirl, well, but Supergirl as well, saying people that are just thought of as le- as, as you, you know, I I don't want to say because le- I don't think of them that way, but but no, I don't even know. I, I think just those that are, you say that have dealt with prejudice and bigotry. If you real and you think back to John Stewart's original first appearance by Denny O'Neill and uh-huh. and Neil Adams, you know definitely right. oh, that, no, was that was a kid. It was a very right. angry character yeah. and rightfully so. Yeah. Um. And so John Ridley, uh, who did the movie U Turn, and I know he had a novel series too, um, and he just did something for television. Um. One of the crime story, uh, I th- I think anthology series, but the one on ABC. Oh. And I can't think of what it what it was called, but um. Just because I, sorry, I apologize to anybody for forgetting a name. I'm, I'm confessing. I'm. There's just so much in this stupid brain of mine that it is getting harder and harder to retrieve the specific name of something because there's also so many. Like, uh, which which crime story is it? Is it the one by Michael Mann back in the '80s? Because that's the one I remember. Um. So, and I don't have time to watch it all, but I think that that's really fascinating. And I'm that. That's like I will. I will drop other series. In order to read that, because I think that's going to be a really important, great series. And then, of course, a writer that I've been touting like crazy. I feel like he's my John. You know how you were just loving Jonathan Hickman, mm-hmm. and now it, I slowly warmed up to Tom King. Is like he's going up there. He's not taking down Neil Gaiman and Grant Morrison yet, in my estimation. But What's he, he might. Now? It was announced called Sanctuary, which is um, a, a miniseries about the therapy that heroes have to go through because of their PTSD hmm. of dealing with the, the violence of what they go through. I don't know which characters are going to be involved, but these are stories that... But yeah, it's a DC book? It's a DC book. Okay. They may not be appealing to the mainstream, I and too bad. Because I think these are books that is like I get fascinated by at this point. I'm not going to hand it to my kid, but I think for adult fans, let's. When that comes out, we should make sure that Steve Mix reads it and have him do a review. Yes, I would agree. There's a couple of things that I've asked Steve that we should talk about. And maybe at a convention soon, we'll all be there. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we owe him another sit down anyway oh, because yeah. he has a new novel. Um, so, and he's really involved in the comics that he reads. He's oh, very involved yeah. in the comics that he reads, and I think I think it's a really interesting approach um, and an interesting story. So again, it's like it's like saying the other history of the DC universe. You're going to show me a book 
that I, you know, like I would say Mark Miller said after 9-11 that, you know, it was like he brought realism, the consequences of the violence, but we still have never really seen the consequences on the, of the violence on the people uh-huh. that, that cause it. Right. You know, uh, we see the aftermath of a building falling and we've seen a lot of the, of the past uh, of the bystanders, but I think it's time to go. All right. You know, look, this is the last couple of years. I think that, um, a certain, because I say for many people, this has always been, they've always been aware, right. You know, but uh, a certain group, oh, let's call them middle-aged white men are, <laughs> are, are being forced to confront a lot of mm-hmm. things that they've not had to confront before. Yeah. And I think it's, it's overdue. It's necessary. And it's a sea change. I mean, it really is a, a, a change in the way society is looking at things and, and hopefully we'll never. And I'm glad. Go I'm, back. I, yeah. yeah. And so it, it should be, you know, I don't think like it's an issue. My, you know, my kids grow up going, well, yeah, dad, duh. And I'm like, yeah, but I just didn't grow up thinking right, that. Right. Um, you know, like I was going to say, like, I, I think I go, I, I don't want to diminish, but I am astounded. Like I walked out of the Batman 66 exhibit and you go over to uh, the, El Capitan, and above it is a big sign for for Black Panther, which right. is already sold out opening weekend. Right, right? and they got to add screenings, but like it's on Fandango, sold out. Right, and I think okay, in one way, Black Panther couldn't have existed without as a movie without Batman sixty six. It's the ground, it, you know, that TV series kind of broke ground. But I don't want to diminish. I'm so thrilled that we're going to get a Black Panther movie and I'm already going, you know what? This might be my favorite Marvel movie and I haven't even seen it yet. Yeah. Because just the, the excitement, the vibration is like, I don't recall any other Marvel movie building up to that. And I want to see what they're going to do with it. I'm super excited for it. And I'm not even that big a fan of the character in T'Challa's delivery in that is so unique it's strong in its quietness and then you ha- and he's just then he's just this frenetic uh fighter adventurer and what i think is awesome okay and so we'll we'll talk about black lightning as well a little later yeah and to say that like my son doesn't understand why that's groundbreaking uh-huh because it's just this is it why is yeah. black lightning a, gra- a, car- a groundbreaking character well Black Lightning has always existed. Black Panther has always existed for right. my son, and that, that he's that he's reaching adolescence at a time that these are. Uh, I haven't let him watch Luke Cage because Luke Cage is, I think, a little too violent. Black Lightning might have been, um, but yeah, he's thirteen. You know that that they that the, these are things he's already discussing yeah. with his friends and with you know, and we just didn't. You yeah, know, my, so, yeah, we'll talk about Black Lightning later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm going to pop over to Marvel for a moment here and just say Dan Slott, who has given us, what, like a decade of great Spider-Man, oh, yeah. is leaving Spider-Man. Yeah. At the same time that Brian Michael Bendis is leaving Spider-Man yeah. uh, to go over to D.C. Dan Slott's not going back Two to different D.C. different spider man but yeah. Yes, to, well, sure. Uh, but uh, Dan Slott's taking over Iron Man. So there's nothing more known about that other than to say, well, he's taking over 
Iron Man's in a great position right now to go through a character change, and a whole storyline could be, I mean, from the standpoint of a new writer taking on that character, it's a great place to be. All right. I failed to make a note, but I want to throw out there, Action Comics 1000, perhaps the most groundbreaking of news of the year. Yeah. It looks like the red trunks are back. My God. I'm so happy. (laughs) I want to see the story where that And that will be Brian Michael Bendis' first actual story for DC. So he's got a short story in Action Comics 1000. Brad Meltzer's doing a short story with John Cassidy okay, uh, for Superman at, for Action 1000. Um, and that is the book. I think we said the cover price will be $30 and it's going to be a $29.90. That's $30, Rick. Uh, it's a, it, it's, and it'll be a hardcover. So, um, well, well, first comic book to reach 1000 yeah. give or take a f- dozen renumberings. And uh I'm excited, and if that they're using that to bring back the red trunks, more power to them. Because it's amazing with the renumbering on both sides. Like uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man is going to be issue 300. I think next issue um, four. Oh, good, another one that I'm going to they're going to charge you four 10 bucks is going to be 700. Is that right? I think so. I think it's Thor 700. Um, yeah, there there are several that are on the cusp of of hitting the uh, the multi-century mark. Maybe it's time we we just. Stop talking about them and do new heroes. I don't know. I know. Bite my tongue. We'll talk about some new heroes. In a- okay. Uh, <laughs> so we'll talk about some old that DC is trying to. I'm going to jump back and forth between DC and Marvel. Uh, DC is, uh, after saying they're going to do some great stuff uh, with John Ridley and Tom King. And then in Justice League, they're upsetting some creators because they're going to put Promethea, which is a, a fantastic America's Best Comics. Our friend McRae inked that over J.H. Williams III's pencils and written by Alan Moore. A truly unique book, too. A tr- absolutely, which they promised like a sideways edition because it ended up being, yeah. um, you know, it was all told in, in On its surface, in it looked page, like a Wonder Woman ripoff, in two but it was page nowhere prints. near that. Oh, it, did, it went away from that within yeah. two in, you know, I don't want to call it a ripoff. It looked like a Wonder Woman pastiche. Yeah. Uh, and then about within three issues, it was like, no, this is what the heck yeah. is going on in yeah. this book um, with the immateria. So apparently the Queen of Fables that Mark Fa- Mark Wade created for his Justice League run in JLA way back when in the late 90s uh, is back. And she's coming through uh, the immateria, which is everyone, oh, that's where Prometheus is. And then suddenly you got a, an image from the next issue with the Queen of Fables fighting Promethea, well, no one told the co-creators slash co-owners of Promethea, rights hold. They they have a small piece. That's the problem. They have a small piece, but they didn't have the deal. And we've said this before because the same thing applies with Watchmen. They didn't have the deal that Neil Gaiman got with Sandman. They didn't make the deal. They didn't make, well, they were angry. Right. I mean, I should take this back. No, Alan Moore was angry. And... You can. There are people that can have explained this better out there on the net. I understand his anger. I also think that I wish, at the very least, that you stood. As much as like I'm enjoying Doomsday Clock because I can't help it's myself, really good. but it also has no didn't need to exist. Yeah. You didn't need to anger the creator when Watchmen actually like I'm reading Doomsday Clock and going these are not the characters in that 12 issue miniseries, which I know literally some of them aren't, yeah. but 
but I mean, it's to me, it's just it's an alternate universe. That twelve issues yeah. stands on its own, and to someone like my son, the import of that again doesn't like you know he's asking me like what was Rorschach's deal and you know it's like okay you're almost ready to read the original and I just I just feel like you didn't have to you don't have to do it and for the average person reading Justice League you don't have to put Promethea in there further they pulled the same thing with the Terrifics a book I was and still am looking forward to because you're featuring two of my favorite heroes Plastic Man and Metamorpho together yep. again. Yep. And for the first time in this continuity. And then they're going to throw in Tom Strong, another Alan Moore creation. They didn't tell Chris Sprouse, who was the artist on Tomorrow Tales or Tom Strong Tales. Tom Strong. Uh, uh, yeah, Tom but I think Strong's it had a different, like it was, because it was meant to be like a pulp I think magazine. They had jump back and forth between a couple of imprints. There might, because he had a, he had a, um, a team. There like, was like the the Tom Strong family. I think was at one point. Yeah, I think maybe there's a one shot of that. Different. Epi- I mean, you know, uh, it, it's a book that's great. And if you can find the Wildstorm reprints, like trade paperbacks, they're they're absolutely great. Again, don't need to put him in there because to, for the average new reader, he's not going to mean anything. Yeah. I think he's great, but I also think what's great about it is you have a finite. And I know that's not the way the comics industry works, but you have a finite. Uh, amount of stories but you know what they can do they can now sell more reprints of the original stories they if can, they do they put I, together a nice omnibus edition yeah i just you know they'll get a lot of bad press because you know yeah. what there's no if you put together a nice omnibus edition which i would i would love to have now yeah. that i'm hooked on omnibuses um but say you needed you could wanted to put tom strong it's like it's like steve ditko over spider-man uh-huh. Steve Ditko's just quirky enough that most people go, eh, they tried. Alan Moore's quirky, but DC didn't really try to make him happy. Instead, yeah. they did things time and time again, specifically not designed to tick him off, but that ticked him off. You can't. They weren't sensitive to what. His. You can't stop doing Spider Man at this point. You certainly can't. But you don't need to put Tom Strong in. And you don't need to put Promethea in. What I'm seeing on the net, uh, and not that I've reached out to anybody or could have, um, is the artists are not happy. Uh-huh. What they'd rather see is, yeah, give me give us that Promethea um, reprint, the really nice edition that's been promised. Uh, and yeah, b- but don't like try to give cheap heat to take a wrestling term. By putting her into a book that she doesn't need to be in. Does that mean she's going to be like appearing all over the DC universe? Right. And what's that going to be worth? Who's going to do a new Promethea book? I mean, I know they did it before Watchmen. They did, but, you know, and to the best of my not- – well, okay. So the joke is – I told you this like this afternoon at coffee um, – <laughs> that Promethea starts as a Wonder Woman homage slash pastiche. Uh-huh. And slowly unveils to be like like a version of Alan Moore's theory of the universe, and it's a grimoire. It's a book of spells. It's an explanation of how the universe works in terms of magic. So basically, you read the whole thing, it's a spell. So the question is, if you give credence to Alan Moore's claiming to be a magician... A wizard. Does it end? No, he calls himself a magician. He calls himself a magician? It okay. does... 
it does not um is that if you bring Promethea back into the DC universe, does that trigger a curse? Right. And so I think we should start like a Jeff Johns life watch. <laughs> Although this one I think is Dan DeDio. I don't I, think Jeff think has that power. So I, yeah. a Dan DeDio life watch. Dan, we love you. You're, right. you're, you're crazy right. in all the right ways. Will Dan be visiting a, 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 a mystic shaman in a couple of months? Or is a, I, you know, I've got some friends in, in D.C. and Burbank. Let's just see. Is the entire building surrounded by salt? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, no, you broke the circle. Right. And these things come in. What's with all the candles, Dan? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go back over to Marvel. Marvel got Conan back. Uh, Conan the Barbarian, Marian, not Conan, Conan O'Brien, O'Brien, who's totally in D.C.'s pocket. Yeah. Um, I, I still kind of, I find Conan O'Brien funny, but I really resent that he's suddenly become like from TBS's precision. He's like, he's the, the icon of comic con. I'm like, no, he's not. No. He started showing up a few years ago and I, I believe he's a comics fan. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But that he's become like the spokesperson for it. No, that was Kevin Smith. And even Kevin Smith kind of sold out to tonight's show. But anyway, let's get back to Conan. Let's go with Will Wheaton and Felicia Day. Well, but a lot of people don't. I'm sorry. I take that back. A lot more people know Will Wheaton now because of Big Bang Theory. Yeah. So his appearance there, which are hilarious, consistently. Uh, and anyway, he's playing Will Wheaton. Uh, which I think is just awesome. Yeah. And I believe, is it in Discovery, there's a there's a en- Ensign Wheaton? Oh, or maybe it's just in the novel. Maybe it's just in the novel. But there was an ensign, I think I would have picked up on Greg that. Cox, Greg Cox put an Ensign okay. Wheaton in, in Discovery. Nice. Um, so... Uh, Conan the Barbarian is has left Dark Horse and is uh, going back to Marvel in 2019. So there's the announcements on Fanboy Planet with the images they gave. This is no details on on who's doing what, but there's a couple suspicious looking uh, promotional art pieces crossover. Uh, yeah, potential crossover. But the interesting thing to this is that in Europe, Conan is public domain, and there are other publishers doing. Conan books, uh, or another publisher so far doing a Conan book. Now, in the original run of Conan, he crossed over. I think he, I know he crossed over in a Spider-Man um, annual. Um, was it a Marvel team-up? I don't. It may have been the Marvel team-up. There are. I know there are, there are two. What if there was a, a? I thought there was a two-in-one with the thing as well. Or are you confusing it with Doc Savage? Who no, did, I also know, did that? I know. I have the Doc Savage one, but. Um, I know there was one because it, it had to do with spells, and that's how Conan came back to our time. Well, I don't know how they've worked. Museum. I don't know how they've worked that out when uh, both Elric and Red Sonia appeared in the original, and then they've talked about they will do reprints of the, the yeah. of great original stuff that changed comics. Absolutely, Sword and Sorcery became a viable uh, genre within within mainstream comics thanks to Roy Thomas fighting to get Conan. Yeah. But he also put Elric in and yep. he put Red Sonia. And the thing is, the Red Sonia that Robert E. Howard uh, re- created was set in a different time period and she was Russian. Yeah. S-O-N-Y-A. So what Roy Thomas created became kind of his own thing and Dynamite currently has the rights to Red Sonia. We can't... We can't Howard's continuity between his books was scrambled because he would take... 
Um, he would take a cull story and turn it into a Conan no, story. No, no, I understand and, that. That's not yeah. the point. Is that there is, the the character of Red Sonia that most people are familiar is with? Frank uh, is Frank Brunner. Uh, no, or no, Frank uh, Thorne. Thorne. Frank yeah. Thorne. Frank Thorne created with Roy the, Roy Thompson. Right. She uh, appeared first in Conan. Right? Was Frank Thorne doing it at that point? I. I mean, I've read. Yes, I've yeah. read the Red Sonia first issue with Frank Thorne art. Right. Um. But the the point is m- that she is not a character owned by Conan Enterprises, and neither is Elric, which is a Titan is currently reprinted most of the Elric comics adaptations by yeah. P. Craig Russell. Yeah. And so it's just interesting what they're going to do with those particular issues. It's not like like when Star Wars went over to Dark Horse and Star and they took all the Marvel stuff. Star Wars didn't cross over with anything else. So it's easy to just take the Marvel stuff and you weren't affecting anybody else's continuity. But as we say now with like Doc Savage, um, you're never going to get a reprint volume of Doc Savage that includes that Marvel team up and that Marvel two in one with Spider-Man and the thing. So those are books lost to time. Yeah. Um, you know, which I didn't realize until Facebook uh, brought it up to me that, or maybe it was a flea run, the doc Savage group that the Curtis, the black and white magazines that we always talk about being great. Those eight issues. Mm hmm are reprinted by Dynamite as a... Now, I have the showcase Doc Savage edition that yes. DC did that reprints them. Yes. But Dynamite has a hardcover of those eight issues. And so I may have to... I was teasing Rick earlier today about owning... About buying, not owning currently, but buying every time Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is reprinted. And I think every time a new publisher reprints those eight issues of... The Doc Savage magazine from Marvel, I think I bought it. So I think I got to buy this one. In there too. Yeah, a little little side note that we were talking about Frank Thorne and, and Red Sonia. Do you remember who the um, who the noteworthy cosplayer of Red Sonia was in that period? Yeah, Wendy Peeney. Would, would but I don't think she was Paint Peeney then. Um, she had a different uh, – Peeney is her married name, Richard Peeney. Right, right. So for those listening, and she, she was would, the co-creator of ElfQuest. right. And would would pose with Thorn in wizard costume, and she appeared on the Mike Douglas show as Red ah, Sonia. Yeah, um, so I've seen that. You can you can actually look that up on YouTube. Maybe you should include that on the page. I you can find it and show. Possible. It's just interesting because yeah. uh, it was one of the first times that like comics fandom kind of got mainstream. You know, uh, almost to uh, so interesting. Uh, so that that's it. We can go to what's in the bag. So tell me, Ooh. Rick, what's in the bag? Well, I've got a a lot of epic stuff, and I actually want to start with go low to high. Um, so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago: the new age of heroes coming from DC, which is where we're going to get uh, the new challenges of the unknown and and yeah. a bunch of other stuff. But we got a brand new character came out this week, and it's it's funny because you've got the um, dark knight metal imprint on on the masthead here, which I guess it's just advertising it's i don't think this character is comes no, out of that well it? i think the thing is that we probably they're so behind schedule that the <laughs> ending of metal changed. well because i was just yeah. reading the hawkman found and it says it'll be you know the answers will be in metal five and my son is right like dad why don't you have that yet i was like because it, it, it hasn't, hasn't come, come out, out yet, yet but it should have yeah yeah you know so so this is damage number one um and the creative team oh yeah uh before I get to the creative team, we have one of the – this is an original cover. Have you seen this cover? So it opens up, 
and then you've got a picture here, but that picture then opens this way. Oh, and, Jiminy Christmas. And this way. So the, the cover opens up and down to give a strip that's as wide as a standard issue. And I can only imagine, because you've got the image on both sides on the cover and on the back and the back looks like suspiciously like one where you're going to get all the new this new age of heroes oh i think you are and, and it's going to put together to be a big poster and who does that i occasionally throw them on the bed and put them together just to, so i can see which issues i'm missing and we'll never see the uh the completed issue but you got some interesting looking characters that i don't recognize at all in this um no those are immortal men oh they all are uh, at least that one in the middle is, I think. The, the, um, the Native, Native American, American looking one? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Okay, uh, the one on the bottom that's kind of like a cross between. <laughs> that's the unexpected. Oh, is that right? Uh, one, that's a whole team of Supernatural. I think the okay. werewolf looking thing is too. And you've got this kind of moonlight, moon night looking thing with big grimacy teeth um, coming poking in from one side. Anyway, enough of that. That's It's an awkward promotional you're having trouble folding it back up even now yeah this the this issue will not be mint if anybody's read it you know um but uh so the creative team is uh tony daniel and robert venditti um as the storytellers and then the uh, robert's the writer and tony is the artist but i mean artist tony is a plotter definitely with, with danny mickey and i have absolutely no problem with the art in this the art in this is actually pretty good i think tony daniel's a fantastic artist um the uh the my problem with this is i feel like i'm back in image comics when they're trying to find a like when every team had a hulk-like character Mm -hmm. and you know in young blood and in well that's uh, what we said a couple weeks ago when i asked you what does damage as much i liked the original damage the character yeah that you look at the every image of this is like Tell me what this is that isn't the Hulk. And look at the last page. It's it's the guy laying in a crater with his pants shredded, and he's kind of like, oh, what am I? I don't want to be their monster, you know. I it's it's a first issue. It's kind of short too. Um, I didn't do a page count, but it read really super fast because it has this uh, this terrific uh, backup yeah. um, promotion story, which I refuse to count in the the page count of the, the book because they just repeat that in every book. <laughs> well done. Um, I'm I'm not sure I'll be buying issue two. I'll well, probably flip uh, through it. It was sold out, and I'll give them this. It's two ninety nine. Yeah, it is. At least it's one of their lesser expensive yep. books. Yep. But it was sold out when I got to the comic shop to Elusive this week. I don't know what that says. I, you know, maybe they didn't have a lot of interest in it ahead yeah. of time. But I'm I'm not a big fan of watching a character destroy buildings and stuff. You know, it's it's not and discover what you know. What, what's his secret? What's the soul within the beast? Right. You know, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go kind of an, out there uh, just so I can away from image. Funny you say. When we talk about image, the early days, that's very different from the image comics that there are today. Um, and I will also argue that. Um, you know, who didn't do that was Eric Larson in the first place. Uh-huh. I don't, you know, I, the Savage Dragon was not that kind of Oh, book. no, 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 no. You know, and, and it was just, it was Youngblood and Wildcats and right. um, uh, Cyberforce. Cyberforce, yeah. They have a, they have yeah. a Hulk. They had the to. big guy with big horns. Um, that was Cyberforce. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was that was Wildcats. I, I, I you're right. You're right. Right. I can't remember what that character's name was, but I had no, the, the ones in Cyberforce all had claws. I had like that Wolverine. action figure. That's yeah. all I know. Uh, yeah, it was kind of some of it was very derivative, and then there was something like Savage Dragon was original. Yep. But now Image has got. I mean, they're great for science fiction. They're take you know doing that kind of. Oh, this is an interesting side view of a trope. Oh yeah. So uh, this week, and I'll go full disclosure. The edit, editor on this book is uh, a friend of mine, Shannon Eric Denton. We've talked about Shannon before. Mm-hmm. Um, this book is called The Further Adventures of Nick Wilson. And the plot is that Nick Wilson is a was a superhero, woke up one day with powers, did the right thing with them, had a had an arch nemesis, and then one day, inexplicably, flying back from the East Coast, lost his powers. And so now he makes his living as basically a Nick Wilson impersonator, going to children's parties and because he looks like the guy right. and wears his costume and so forth, just trying to get by. So it's kind of like the glory days sort of thing. Uh, I'm not sure where the series – it was an interesting twist there, but where the way the first issue sets it up is the villain, the arch nemesis, is also kind of missing those glory days, like what happened and – uh, life's not worth living without Nick Wilson to match wits with. Uh-huh. So it's good for business. But he didn't lose his powers. Uh, no, he was just more like a Lex Luthor type. Oh, okay, okay. So it's kind of like, uh, okay, um, having a nemesis was good for business. Yeah. So there's a proposition coming to the now powerless Nick Wilson who doesn't understand how he got his powers in the first place or how he lost them. So I think that the, that the book, the series, is going to kind of explore this idea. It's, a, it's just a... A somewhat original take on the Superman right. mythos, you know, right, just right. kind of like what well, what happens if there is not. So I like the average the average guy part of it. The art is is really good and it's good storytelling. So I really I actually got a preview copy of this a few weeks ago. It just came out this week. I really enjoyed it. So uh, and and not again. So you know, I give full disclosure when like I know somebody when they email me and say. Hey, take a look at this. And I looked at it and went, yeah, this is really fun. So, and, and kind of, I see there's a lot of thought coming and a lot of twists coming that I'm, I may not have predicted. So I am looking forward to the next issue of the further adventures of Nick Wilson. Next on your stack. Next on my stack is the first of two big Marvel events that are going on right now. Um, we have had a slow burn up to the resurrection of Jean Grey, and now it's here. We're actually into the third issue of this. But uh, the book is actually called Phoenix Resurrection. <laughs> Phoenix Resurrection, yeah. Um, the the last, I want to say like six issues of the Jean Grey miniseries, or actual running ongoing series, hard to tell. Like, <laughs> Looked like it ended. Marvel wants you to not know knows, for sure. Who knows? It's, Don't take it off your pull back list. For at least one more issue. Yeah. Um, but there've been there've been some MacGuffins in this because all through that she thought she was being chased by the Phoenix Force to become the new Phoenix, and then the last issue we find out no that wasn't the plan at all. And so uh, in this one, and I have to say it's it's interesting too because the creative teams on each issue have been different. One, two, and three. Oh, that's interesting. And I number three with uh, let's see, don't want to just use last names here. Um, number three has probably my favorite artist, and in it, and that's uh, Joe Bennett. Um, Matthew Rosenberg is the writer. Uh, this is, and this is basically my favorite issue of the three. And the first two were kind of weak, in my opinion. 
Um, it's still not the most concrete story. There's no, you can't see a, a line being drawn as to where things are going. There's a lot of stuff happening that you're not sure is it happening in somebody's mind or an alternate universe or whatever. Um, we have, of course, we have multiple Jean Greys. We already know in 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 the Jean Grey series, there was another Jean Grey who was from that period of time where they're all wore black uh, costumes with the ribs. The Grant Morrison. Yeah, the years. Grant Morrison run. Um, and who is working kind of like an avatar consul- uh, spirit animal for Jean Grey. Um, and this is this is kind of a little wobbly in what it's doing. I, I can't count the number of times lately that I've seen a panel like this at the end of any given book where you have the green no, it's su- a very familiar the green panel. suited phoenix standing over whoever it was who was talking about it and saying something cryptic and it's happened a number of times in in both the Jean Grey and now in this this book um I'm going to stick with this one through the rest through, through the rest of it uh it's it's been good enough for me um if you weren't a fan of Jean Grey or you know if 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 you didn't live through the first three resurrections of Jean Grey this resurrection might be something you could get by with just skipping but uh I don't know I'd say check it out if you're if you're interested it's it's uh it's no more expensive than any other marvel book <laughs> um that is what we call uh faint praise faint praise <laughs> I'm going to go uh with I I I love you know because I missed last week to be able to talk about the DC Hanna-Barbera. Did you get the Snagglepuss Chronicles? I saw it when I was at Meltdown. I did not buy it. I'm That is... I'm going to get that and Rough and Ready in trade. Trades? Yeah. Absolutely, you should. Yeah. Uh, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. It's like, I was talking to Susan Avaloni and I said, you know, she goes, well, it's, it's cats. And, uh, you know, she loves books with cats. And... And that's not to dismiss, you know, she knows Snagglepuss too, but, you know, right. it was just kind of funny. And I said, and I explained the premise, and I hadn't read it yet. I bought it at Earth 2. And I, I said, I, I can't wait wait to read this. And she, and I explained the premise. She said, that's what it's about? And I said, yeah, this is interesting. And I can't figure out the rules because Rough and Ready hasn't really established either. Like, the, who they call them celimits. Um um, is their word for tunes, you know, how okay. Roger Rabbit had a, had a thing. But, like, the rules of why some characters... I, actually, I think Rough and Ready is different. I think Snagglepuss is really just an anthropomorphic panther um, or wild, whatever he is. I can't remember what kind of cat he actually is. Um, but Huckleberry... He's a top cat. No, he's not a top no, cat. No, 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 top cat's also in the DC know, universe now. But uh, Huckleberry Hound's in it as well. Um, so it's just kind of like, what are the rules? Who got what and why is nobody right. taking this? And right. what's this? There's a thing about one of his plays where I just watched it and I'm like, oh my God, how does this played out? How, how, how was this established? But it's for the times we are in right now, it's an unexpectedly important book, but it's not the book on my stack. The book on my stack is the, again, the Hanna-Barbera, the serious superhero stuff, Birdman, it's a Future Quest Future number Quest. six, but yeah. Future Quest is more like a banner title. It's an anthology book. So they can do this. So, oh my gosh. Phil Hester, great writer, uh, writing Steve Rude, 
drawing. I son of Birdman. He's so, the perfect artist for, for so. Birdman. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because I love Birdman, and partially I think I love Birdman as much as I do because of Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. Uh-huh. But uh, I I'm still into the characters. So that they're doing mm-hmm. stuff with these characters we love. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. So I'm. I'll lessen my recommendation because I snuck in the Snagglepuss Chronicles from last week, but there you go to your last one. The last one I have is another big event that's going on right now. Um, Avengers No Surrender. This is issue number two. Um, do you Have you heard anything okay, about what's going on? Okay, no, but, but let me say, let me, let's correct. It's actually issue number 676. Right. They're giving it a miniseries title. Yes. Which I, I much prefer. I would rather you do this with Ark so I can pick up. Exactly. And I love it. And in this case, as opposed to some of the other Marvel books they have where they have not put the number it is in the sequence that they're in the arc yeah. that they're on. Yeah, it's six seventy six. Uh but um with the subtitle of No Surrender, this is a second issue. This is a weekly book right now. So if you're intrigued by this, that explains it. you can go quickly and pick up the first issue, too, which had one of the best lenticular covers I've seen in quite a I while. Think I got that. So, yes. Um, what's interesting about this, and this is now, let's see, this came out Wednesday. We're, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here. Um, there is, uh, it's 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 no secret that a large part of this hinges on the fact that Earth has been stolen. It's been moved out of the solar system. Sword is hanging out in space near our sun without any without any Earth beneath it. Which is interesting because in the run up in um, six seventy four and issues before that, there was a big storyline that crossed over Avengers and Champions. Um, about Counter-Earth. There was a Counter-Earth storyline where the High Evolutionary was basically going to bash both Earths into each other um, and start the world over again. So I don't know that the the editorial on this was very good, where they went from one Earth-shattering, literally, uh, storyline to another Earth moving off and nobody nobody in the storyline is saying, didn't we just save the Earth last week and now we're saving it again? Well, um, as we said, there's you know there's some in some criticism of the editorial, uh, the editorial staff. The interesting thing about this, uh, which is for me, it's harkening back to remember the storyline around the century, the century when yeah. when they they introduced a character who had been around through all, all Marvel comics, but we all forgot, but had been uh, through magic and science his the memory of him had been erased from everyone so the fact that he had palled around with the avengers and the fantastic four and doctor strange and all these other people and the hulk and even erased from his own memory so he's just this guy and then he started having flashbacks and he came out and he was just an incredibly super powered hero in fact he was overpowered and went through some some emotional and damaging uh, situations where he couldn't really be trusted to be on any given team. Um, That's under Bendis. Yeah. The original uh, Paul Jenkins miniseries, I think did a a cleaner. Yeah. But um, so they have, they have done another kind of 
if you look at this cover, this cover is really cool. I love that cover. I love that cover. But the cover inside, and it is basically a copy of Avengers 1 in the hands of somebody pulling uh, pulling books out of a, a long box in a comic book store. But if you look at that cover, that's not really the cover of Avengers 1. No. Because there's an extra character and it's also not drawn by Jack Kirby. But but if you look, there is another character standing there among all the Avengers. And that character has shown up and everyone remembers them. Hmm. But, and, and there's actually a little, there's a vignette of stories where she has been in all these other storylines and they show panels of her in that. So it's kind of interesting. And they're not, there's no... If you didn't know that she wasn't there, you wouldn't challenge it at all. But any for any fan who's reading this, it, it's kind of neat that they're not. There's no inkling that there's anything wrong here. There's an interesting note in here, by the way. Uh, there's an inside ad for an up, upcoming Doctor Strange event. Da, yeah, Doc, uh, Damnation, Doctor Strange, Damnation. Uh, already, uh, the title of this has been changed because they can't sell it in the South. Oh my! So I don't know what it's soon changed to, but anyway, I'm darn gonna, nation, darn nation. Uh, I'm going to go to my recommendation. Go quick because we just talked about Conan. This is the last gasp, I think, of of Dark Horse's excellent work. Even though DC really published this, is the, that five or six issues? This is number. Um, let, me, let me double check the last page because um, I just picked this up uh, last night. I didn't get to the store until Saturday, and I did not. Next, there's uh, one more issue. Yeah, I thought it was. But to just say, we've recommended it before, but this is the last thing to carry Conan's story to carry the Dark Horse uh, imprint as well. This is Wonder Woman Conan number five, but what's great about this, and Gail Simone was taken by surprise too, is this Neil Adams cover doing Wonder Woman and Conan. It is awesome. What a fun crossover this continues to be. What an amazing trade paperback. Brilliant way to bring the two characters together. I I love this book. I love this book. So let's go to movies, shall we? And it's getting a little late, so I'm going to go through here. But um, we were sort of looking forward to the horror version of of X-Men with New Mutants. Based on the Demon Bear story, uh, or influenced by the Demon Bear storyline from New Mutants uh, back in the twenties, uh, in the title, and uh, it was supposed to come out, uh, I believe, in February, but it has now been delayed by a full year. I think because we are seeing the first repercussions of the Marvel, of the Disney purchase of Fox, is there's too many Marvel movies coming, and even Marvel knows it. You're going to have February 15th. Marvel or Disney? Disney knows it. Yeah. But they're all going to end up being Marvel you know, Studios productions yeah. eventually. You can't delay Deadpool or, I'm sorry, the untitled Deadpool sequel. Uh, I Please do not change that title. That is awesome. Um, New Mutants is the one who can go. You can't let the X-Men apocalypse uh, not, not X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men Dark Phoenix slip. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's done. Um, New Mutants is done, but it's the one that doesn't fit in the continuity of the others. You can move it around. I mean, not that Deadpool has a continuity, but I think the advertising is hit too hard. Yeah. The excitement has built too much, and yes. so it's got to stay. You disappoint too many people by pushing yeah. it off. Yeah. But I think you can let this one slip a year and see what happens. I'm sorry that it's a full year, but I realized, look, you're going to have... 
Black Panther. This may I I hadn't really thought about this, but this may be why Aqu- why DC is not even bothering with anything until Aquaman mm-hmm. till November because you've got Black Panther in February. In late April, you're going to have Avengers: Infinity War. Then in early July, you're going to have Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, but in June, you'll have Deadpool, and then at uh, in November, you'll have X Men: Dark Phoenix. Uh, versus standing up against Aquaman, so that's fine. That's a lot of Marvel. Yeah. And now Disney can say because Disney paces its animated product. It's got its uh, inspirational sports slot. I don't think there's anything. I think they ran out of it in inspirational sports. Um, they and, did chess, right? Yeah, the Queen of Katwe yeah. was uh, two years ago. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I, I'm a sucker for them all. I haven't seen the Queen of Cotway yet, but uh, I did see McFarland USA, which I thought, like, what? Long distance running? I'm not going to be inspired. My God, this is so inspirational. I fall for it every time. Um, and yet would not watch a, a, a cross-country uh, running match at all, meet at all. It's the soundtracks. Chariots of Fire, this is what runs through my head. That's it. That's a It's not going to get topped. It's not going to get topped. But, uh, they do, you know, they have, they have their annual live action fairy tale slot. You know, they've got it all paced. They have to. And the purchase of Fox does make that kind of confusing. And so I think that's why it's happening. We'll see. Plus, they also, I forgot to mention because everybody seems to forget that there's a Star Wars movie coming again in May. What's that called again? Solo. <coughs> um, What's the poster look like? <laughs> well, what it should look like is Calrissian, but uh, that's no. That's the thing is, yeah, it is just the name Solo, Solo. a Star Wars story. <laughs> we have not seen a single bit of footage from it. Yeah, um, which it opens. That in, would be refreshing if they didn't release any footage because you know people are going to go see it anyway, right? So why? You so know, what you're telling me is this is a brilliant marketing scheme would, and not a method of hiding a product like, that isn't going to be that I'd good. I'd like to think that they are. They have a great movie and they're going to they're going to break ground on not spoiling thirty forty percent of the movie by giving you the best bits of that thirty to forty minutes. Okay, I'm with you. I would love that to happen. I would love for that yeah. to happen. I just don't think that's true. Yeah. But I'm with you. I I avoided. Uh, the last Jedi, the, at least the last last Jedi trailer, uh-huh. um, because of, of that very reason. Like I, I liked the first trailer for just showing us random images, which is uh, I said, yeah, back in seventy seven or actually seventy six right. when I first saw that trailer, right, and you didn't know what anything actually no. was, but they showed all this stuff and it was just like a boy, a, a boy, girl, girl in a galaxy, universe, uh, yeah. a boy, a girl in a galaxy, galaxy. and aliens from a thousand worlds, and then there was a sand trooper, right. sand person, and you're just like. I don't know what this adds up to, but it's awesome. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, that that could be. I I just don't know. I I just, I I, I want it to be. Forever green. I I don't know. But I'm not excited, you know. And it's not, and it's not the film. It's not Ron Howard's fault. It's not Lucasfilm's fault. I liked The Last Jedi. Uh, The more I think about it, the more I like it. Mm -hmm. And. That's great, but I only had time to see it once. I yeah. I'm not I don't need more than one Star Wars movie a year, and that's what it feels like. It's like it's too following too fast. It's following too fast. Pull up, pull up. Well, where do target. you put where do you put Rogue Squadron? Rogue in One. There? Rogue One. Uh, in in against the other movies. I mean, the other recent the the three movies we've got now. 
uh, Force Awakens. I like Rogue, Rogue One, but I'll tell you, this is another one that uh, stop saying Rogue Squadron. This is a totally different series. I know uh, it's a book series. I've lived with Rogue Squadron. Uh, I know. I know. Than- uh, Rogue One. Um, if it did not exist, I would have been okay. Yeah, I really liked Rogue One. Yeah, but I'll also say I like it slightly less because I saw a trailer full of footage that didn't end up being in the cut. Uh, you know, and and, and that's the downside too. I feel I feel like there was for me a more interesting film uh-huh. that we didn't get to see. Okay, just as I think, but the flip side is I think the Last Jedi is the more interesting film that I wanted to see. I, I agree with you. I what I liked about um, Rogue One was that it it proved that you could do a closed ended story, um, even though it does closed by a budding into the first one we ever no, saw. No, in, in typical Fanboy Planet fashion, yeah. it's actually a time travel story because the sequel came out in 1977. Right. Yes, so yeah. it's it's fantastic. But but it, it, it closes off all the storylines. There's no sequel to that coming. You know, that, that oh, no, the sequel to that is actually in, in the first the, story and from a certain point of view explains, does the bridging between... You're pointing at the book on my yes, the, between, table but, behind But it. I mentioned up, up top. Is, you know, yeah, it's uh, the first, chat, uh, first short story is bridging Rogue One with A New Hope. Yeah. So... And I think there's another story that does that too. And it's fine. I just It's just funny to me. I'm all right. Look, I just, you know, it's Rogue One is what Rogue One is. And I like that. And Solo could be good. I would be more interested because we know so actually so little about his arc. We only see like a little redemptive thing is you've got one of the most charismatic young actors alive playing Lando Calrissian. Uh Uh-huh. You have, as far as I can tell, one of the most uncharismatic mm-hmm. actors alive playing young Han Solo. Give me a Lando Calrissian story about that rogue going through uh, about Lando Calrissian. Yeah. Because the other thing I've said about Solo is the problem is we've already seen the Han Solo arc that is redemptive. Right. That was the original trilogy. Right. And, and you know, I shouldn't. Is it Alden Ehrenreich? Um I mean, because when you really look uh, objectively at Harrison Ford, especially, is he's not a particularly emotive actor. He's got a charisma. I don't know if Alden Ehrenreich has that charisma or not. Yeah. I just, and that's the problem. It's like, I just get nothing from him. I get a guy going, (laughs) I could play Han Solo, which is not the attitude Harrison Ford had. Right. Because Harrison Ford just was Han Solo. So are they going to kill me soon? So yeah, yeah. He's movies. like going, I gotta, I, I gotta build a cabin uh, <laughs> on my ranch. Uh, no, you know, but that's that that that's we already saw the arc. We saw him yeah. as the unrepentant rogue who repents, right, and becomes a hero. And so we're not going to see the Han Solo we like. I've said that before too. You know, the, in any satisfying story about young Han Solo, we're not going to get to see the Han Solo we right, like. Right, right, right. We're going to see the guy that we're going, when are you going to be the Han Solo? the bad guy. Okay. And what if Lando's the good guy? What if Chewbacca is the good guy? I don't know. So we'll see. Um, Let's get to TV. And and I'm going to go with uh, with another movie where we saw scenes. Uh, The Justice League Blu-ray is coming soon. And I just want to report to people. I didn't have a chance to post a thing, but... There was a rumor that we were only going to see one scene there. I got a list of scenes. They're not specific, 
but there are plenty of scenes uh, of, uh, of, of deleted scenes, deleted scenes on Justice League Blu-ray. Are they incorporated into the film? I do not think or are so. They just in a section. I think you're going to get what did Batman v Superman do the supercut? Do the uh, deluxe? The yeah. It was, no, no, no. Did they do that first? Or oh. did they release that as a later DVD? I think it was later. You know, and and I like that film better. So I, you're right. I'm sort of like, going, do I want to buy this Justice League and just watch deleted scenes? Or are you going to edit some stuff yeah. in together? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think at this point, can I, you know, it's like there was a lot of rumor about that, like with, with it, there'd be a lot of, and, and the deleted scenes in it are kind of like, uh, you know, yeah, they're not bad. I just see why they chose not you to, saw I, it. I, I this like would have slowed things down or whatever. although yeah. there is a fantastic alternate version of the opener, um, which I'll tell you offline because, okay. you, but it, it was like, I still haven't seen the movie. Oh, okay. But it still makes sense. It'll okay. still be funny, but, um, it, it is great. Um, so anyway, that's coming soon, and I and it's got a lot of. I, I actually, it's going to have a lot of pre. I think it's going to have a lot of preview footage of Aquaman because they're really focusing on oh, Aquaman. Good. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's, it's worth my picking up. I you know that's that's it. Although I still got to buy the Wonder Woman Blu-ray. Um, uh, Hulu just announced that they're going to renew. And they're going to do a second season of Runaways. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the ten episodes. I the ten episodes are still on Hulu. It veers quite a bit, yeah. Uh, from from the original, and that's the advantage of Marvel Comics Unlimited digitally. Is I've spent the last few days, like going through all the rereading Runaways and realizing there were some I didn't read for whatever reason. Oh. Like I was, I think I was reading them in trades. Oh. I came late to it and then went, oh, uh, you know. So I think I missed a trade or two because there are there are some plot complications I don't remember at all. But they really did change uh, the motivations. I like one thing about the TV series is that they make the parents a lot more complicated. Good. Because they're like, they're almost totally off stage in the original books. They're probably more, they're more than you think, than you remember. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're still kind of blank villains. They're right. archetypes. Yeah. Instead of, and it takes a while, then some of them are more developed, but it doesn't play as well. In this, there's definitely a complexity where it's even to the end of the first season, it's almost like it is too late for redemption for them. Mm-hmm. And yet you kind of feel like you can understand the kids not wanting sure. to run away because yeah. of their parents and there's it, it's complex and i like that yeah um the the arc of what's going on is not as com- is not as complicated and i think there's a because this is it was create there are a lot of people on this that were involved in iron fist and in humans hmm. Hmm. yeah okay there that face yeah and um and the creators are the people that did the OC. So it's really seems almost like it's more interested in kind of that teen melodrama storytelling, which works surprisingly well like Riverdale. But for this is almost like, no, you've got like s- mystical things or plot complications yeah. that have to be resolved. You They have to actually be important. And too many times in this 10 episodes, things are set up as important and then just kind of forgotten about. Like I, I can say is you asked me about whether old lace shows up, old lace shows up. And then for three episodes, they forget that they've seen a dinosaur, Uh-huh. you know, <laughs> it's just like, what? Hey, why isn't anybody still asking about she's getting Gertie has a telepathic. What's the name link? of the magic user? Uh, 
Nico. 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 And is her magic still blood-based? Yes, but it's given a scientific explanation. Uh, what they added in, which I thought was interesting, was that, that Nico had an older sister. And when the series opens, she's not in the comics. Uh-huh. And in the, when the series opens, one of the things that get – why the kids have not gathered is because the older sister died. It's a mystery, like through the series – through the season of, of what actually happened with her. Right. But once the older sister, who was kind of like the the babysitter kind of for all the younger ones, uh-huh. um, when she died, they just they didn't really address it. They've all grieved privately, and they don't want to see each other because somehow it's they a big reminder. Yeah. They also made Molly older. And, oh, that's too bad. Um, well, no, I understand, because if you put a 10-year-old, it's harder to film. Yeah. You know, so now she's like 14 and it's just, okay. yeah. She's not that I, much She's older, still but younger, but it's, but then yeah, there are others. Molly's just such a great, joyful character and the fact oh, that and she's super strong. And, rereading it in the comics makes that really clear. Yeah. It's really hard. I think there's some scenes where they still played it like the 10-year-old, even though she's like a 14, freshman. Yeah. And it's like, eh, I get it and I don't, you know. So I have mixed I have a mixed reaction to Runaways. Yeah. I will watch the second season because I think there's some really good actors in it. And the the kids playing the, the Runaways are actually really good. Good. I like what they did with Chase better than what they did in the comics. Um, there's a whole other explanation for Carolina. So you just have to watch and see. There's a, It's clearly, it's using the comics as a starting point. For what Marvel has done, I almost feel like this show is a step back. Hmm. Because it feels like even though it's up to the minute in terms of its characterization, as far as it's plotting, it's like a show from 20 years ago, almost embarrassed to be a superhero show. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so... You kind of get that vibe a little bit with Legion, too. Although, I, but I think Legion just went into its own category. Yeah, I don't think Legion's a superhero show. And I don't care about that, because I didn't think Legion was that great. It was... A superhero book. It was a weird, just psychodrama. Yeah, I've never really thought of Runaways as really being a superhero book, except for some of the inclinations, especially Molly, that they're superheroes. They're they're runaways. They're well, they threw away. They, yeah, they. But but I think the book kept dancing around it and coming back to it. Yeah, and having reread it, it's very clear. Like they do, which the series never touches, is that in the comics they did come up with superhero names, and then they after the first arc went. That's stupid. We're not heroes. We're runaways. Right. But then it kept going back into we are. And then there are things in the comic that they're not going to touch. The scrolls, it's not going to touch. This is a book. Or this is a series that doesn't have to tie into the Marvel Universe. Right, right. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Doesn't make sense. Um, they haven't referenced. Didn't they tie it into Power Pack in the original? Yeah, eventually yeah, yeah. there are. there Because there's a support group for teen heroes that have become adults that are trying to transition out and be like, you know. And, um, and and it's funny because then that, that, that concept is we've got to talk about Black Lightning. It's yeah. the same thing, which is a series that – but I'll go back to Runaways – is that like the Steins are the geniuses. And at one point watching Runaways, I kind of turned and went, all right, the, this cannot be taking place in the same Marvel universe because everything that this – that the Steins are doing – wouldn't they be in competition with Tony Stark? And wouldn't, I mean, like, did Bill Gates never reference Steve Jobs in private conversation? Right. It's it's kind of hard to believe. So I think, and that's okay. I don't feel a need anymore for everything's connected. I just don't. There's too much. I like the movies going forward. I like if S.H.I.E.L.D. can tie in. But 
Yeah. I don't I don't care that Daredevil and the Punisher don't I mean they reference it, but they don't need to exist in the same. And it's interesting because okay, like I said, I'm going to turn to Black Lightning, uh which they actually showed a repeat and got better ratings for that slot in really the, okay then what they did whatever normally was yeah i maybe it was a crazy ex-girlfriend or a jane the virgin i don't know but hmm. but it was the highest rated debut that cw's had in two years so that's Good. yeah uh a series originally developed for fox and fox passed on it so it was not developed to fit into the so-called Arrowverse. there's an open door sure. which i hope you heard that there, uh, Roland Martin, the commentator, says that it's like why other cities have superheroes and they're called heroes. Friedland has one. one he's a vigilante. vigilante. Right. So it's like, wait a minute, there are other heroes? Yeah. But they don't, it doesn't have to be. Right. Like any issue of, I think, the original run of B- Black Lightning, the comics, Tony Isabella and Trevor Von Eden's original run, uh, the connection was that Gamby, Paul Gamby, was the brother was it is a tailor slash scientist whose brother was the guy who was the tailor for all for the flash and uh-huh. the rogues gallery uh-huh. so there are two gambies um so that they put in gamby i don't know how i missed this one of my favorite character actors of all time playing paul gamby uh james remar uh-huh. who just gives weight to everything it's like you know just no, camera, he was, camera goes on him and you're like i don't care what crap you spout i'm buying it yeah. because you just like you know he's just like come on you know there's just there's just a he's an actor that's just like boom it's just you believe him yeah and i was so excited by that and i like Cress williams i it's just like uh i thought it was a great great pilot who plays tobias the whale uh uh, Tobias Whale, not Tobias, Tobias the Whale. whale. Yeah, no. uh, they only I, called him Tobias. I don't know his name. Um, it's interesting if you if, uh, if you buy if you've read the revival, uh, the whale in the f- original was big and yeah, white, yeah, yeah. and uh, Tony Isabella actually establishes that the whale, as he appears in the show is the real one. It was his brother who was taking oh, his glory interesting. and using it, and then he got himself killed. And so this is a new to, a new okay. whale coming up. But that actor was really quite good. I, my only, he didn't have the problem I had with the rest of it, which was there was too many, too many people who were only threatening because they had their gun in your face. And... Uh, the the one guy who was the the middle level gang leader, mm-hmm. they should have been able to do something with him where he could have been threatening without the physical threat of a gun. I thought and that's much more powerful for me because if if the gun's all that makes him threatening, you take away the gun. What is he? He's how well, do you ever get to? Get I don't to be where I he know, is? but isn't that an argument that's going on in the real world? True. So you know, True. and that's the thing is what I thought was. Uh, one really a lot to unpack in a pilot. Yeah, and um, well done in a pilot. I mean, well, no, really well done. I mean, that's what I say. There's just so the much whole going family on. Life that he and had watching and a second, like, and, and, and watching it a second time, like how much is going on in that pilot mm-hmm. and setting up for the future. No explanation of how he got to be Black Lightning. I don't need an explanation no, no. at this point in no. time. You know, it's like 
Jump right in. Jump, absolutely. Yeah. And a different and there's something going on in the background. There's, you know, there's. And a different viewpoint, which is, look, this guy, the actor, they never say his age, but Chris Williams is, I think, 47. Uh-huh. So let's look at, other than Jay Garrick on The Flash. Yeah. Uh, occasionally appearing. True. What actor are you seeing that old? Right. Not even Superman on the, on, on, on uh, the CW. Right. That guy, um, I can't remember his name. Um but he's like 30. Like, he's like seven years older than his cousin. Yeah, so. you know, fine. You know, I think he's yeah. great too. But but it's like it is CW. Everything else is CWized. Yeah. This is, no, man, this is. This is a family man who's. who's and this is exactly position, what. Position responsibility but with no power. And and, and, try, and trying not to do it because I, I love that line when he says, like, how many more lives have I saved by being a principal? Exactly. And yeah. trying to set an example as a normal person. And just like, but still, like how how much, and how often do you see in a in any of these things? I mean, even in the Marvel movies, where the hero comes on the scene and people on the sideline are going, "Go Black Lightning! Yay! Good to see you back!" <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. The only like bad shot for me was when the police are interviewing the daughters. I hope this is not a spoiler at this point, but you know, a- after the hotel. And he's just standing by the sign up above. And like, right. well, you've established that the police don't like him. Yeah. Why are Why you standing, standing in, in right. full view? I mean, I well, know you're bulletproof, but still. Yeah, that's the, my other problem with the show. And I, they've already, I doubt that they're going to get rid of it. But I don't, I don't know that if I am a superhero who is not wearing the biggest disguise on my face ever, you know, why would I have a glowing lightning bolt on my chest if I'm sneaking around in the dark? It's like somebody whose cell phone is ringing while they're trying to break into a... Uh, I don't think we're going to see him sneaking. I don't think he does that much sneaking. Oh, Once yeah. he puts the uniform on, he's the costume on, rather, he's just walking down the hall and he's taking down everybody. He but doesn't care who sees the, him. He's been in the dark. I mean, especially the, there was one scene where he wasn't in costume and he definitely was but, but see, working but in the, the dark. But, but that's... But that's yeah. He's not in costume. He's... He's made a promise. He's not going to do He's got that. the Batman vocalizer thing going on, so nobody's going to catch his voice, right? But he's yeah. got a domino mask basically. And he's got he's got that beard scruff. That that beard is pretty identifiable. If his daughters see him, they're going to know that Okay, but here let, let's say that. So Luke asked me that. Do his do his daughters know? I'm like, well, by the end of the first episode, probably when thunder and lightning show start, when thunder starts demonstrating she has power, right? Yeah, it's not going to matter. No, um, but I think in general, the the thing uh, you'd say is sort of like the it's the Clark Kent thing that you have to. Well, I, it's maybe different with a character like Black Lightning or Green Arrow. Yeah. Like I don't, I've always believed the glasses because why would anybody think that Superman would bother becoming somebody else? Right, especially being a regular guy. Yeah, and I think somebody like Black Lightning, that kind of like street level vigilante, is like, why would someone think? What's his connection to this area? Why is he only in this town? Why is he only in this four mile radius of uh, the city? Well, because it needs cleaning up. There's no, there's, there's no question. Right. You know, and I don't, I got the sense that by calling it Friedland, that's more like a region. Like when you'd say, like, you know, Watts in LA. Uh I mean, that I don't think, uh, I don't think we've heard what the larger city is. Like in the comics, it's Metropolis. Uh, although I think maybe he got relocated at one point to Gotham City because of the Outsiders. Um, 
Probably. I, I, yeah. I think. I'm not sure. It's been a long, long time since I've read Batman and the Outsiders. Yeah. But um, I think he's Metropolis in um, in this revival uh, that's going on right now with from the original creator, Tony Isabella. Um, not, unfortunately, Trevor Von Eden, who is a great artist. I don't know if Trevor Von Eden is still active in the industry, but mm-hmm. uh, at least he's given credit on the show. So, uh, you know, this is one of those things where I'm just – Again, I, I can't believe we're living in this age, right? But I'm also thrilled that Black Lightning is getting his due, and that it's as good as yeah, it that's is. The, that's the big point. That and one and of the, I'd watch, I would watch this show over Arrow any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be a, it would be a tight race with Flash. Um, it would probably beat Supergirl. No pun intended. No pun intended. I would probably beat Supergirl by a little bit, but. Uh, you know, I've well, started, I watch them for different yeah. reasons. You know, like I'm behind on Supergirl. I like Supergirl. I know they're bringing the Legion in, Legion of Superheroes. So of yeah. course, I got to catch up because I got to watch the Legion. We'll talk. But the Flash, uh, you know, that is fun. I just watch that for fun every episode. Yeah. Um, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. You forget the Bat Guano Crazy one that I, can't even maintain its own continuity. That's when I watch like four episodes at a within time an episode. But I watch that for the characters strictly. Yeah. The fact that you got Citizen Cold on that show, yeah. and uh, I'm super, you know, jazzed about that. Oh, I guess we can say, apparently, Dominic Purcell, who's Heatwave, uh, let slip that um, Citizen Cold and Constantine have a little bit of a flirtation going oh in the uh, in next week's episode. So I'm like, well... It's only you know a matter of time, as that you know that that they're bringing Constantine back, still Matt Hawkins, that they're bringing him into the animated series on the CW seed, in yeah. which they're going to make it even darker than the series was. But they also make clear it's like the time is now. Constantine is bisexual in the comics; he's going to be bisexual on the on the show. There's yeah. just no way around it. So um, I. We're living, you know, and I hope that doesn't lose any any fans because you shouldn't go if that's what bothers you. This is just reality. I'm not trying to be arrogant about it. I'm saying this as a middle-aged, white, cisgendered male, you know, it's like I say this is reality. If you, you know, let's get characters so that everybody can see themselves up there. And, uh, and, and, man, Wentworth Miller. I just love his Leonard Snart, Leo Snart, whoever, whatever you call his Snart, it's Snartastic. Nobody delivers lines like he does. No, it's Nobody. fantastic. He's got the funniest dang delivery. Yeah, uh, it's just oh, I I, I love him. Um, you know, so definitely uh, looking forward to that return as well. I think let's. Uh, this yeah. is the end of what we got to talk about this week. Thanks for listening. And again, I've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. We'll be announcing on the Facebook page when we're going to do a public performance of what we public performance. It's like. Um, a we're just rec- an open public, recording. Yeah. We are just going to run our mouths off like we we're always do. Uh, uh, for episode 500, uh, we got a date in mind. Got to confirm a place, and then we will have that on. We'll on announce the, it the, probably the, next episode, probably. But you know, it'll also announce on the Facebook page, Fanboy yeah. Planet. So check it out. And of course, you know, if there's anything we talked about, any books or so forth, DVDs you're interested in, uh, use the Amazon link. If you can't find it at your local comic shop. 
And, and of course, we love so many of them. So please do support them because they're going through, everybody's going through tough times, but they are, you know, that's, it's tough. So, uh, that's it. Uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.